0: You can turn over to Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter one. Second Peter, chapter one, and as we uh, come to this. Uh, a portion of the the scripture. Uh, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to work backwards. Um, we're going to be looking at verses five through eleven, but we're actually going to be starting down at verse ten. And uh, I think this is really the key verse to this portion of scripture. And uh, so you can just follow as I read uh, these couple verses for us this morning. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One thing this verse points out to me, and just a way of reminder, we're looking at knowing our salvation. First, 2 Peter talks about knowing our salvation, knowing the scriptures, knowing those who are against the scriptures, false teachers, and knowing how to practically live out this Christian life. That's kind of the outline of 2 of Peter in a roundabout way. But today we're, we're looking at knowing your salvation. And we've already looked at where our salvation comes from in verse 1. It says that A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith. Well, to obtain something, you have to get it from somewhere. And it says there that the source of our salvation is none other than God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a salvation that comes through Christ by God. We don't have any other means under heaven to be saved other than the work of Christ. That's so important to understand today because there's so many people in our world. They're looking for ways to somehow allow their religion to do something for them. And religion won't do anything for you. The only thing that will do anything for you is a relationship with the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's so important that we grasp that, that our salvation, the source of it comes from God through faith in Christ. There's no other back door. There's no side door. There's no way you could ever work yourself enough to earn your way to heaven. It's something that God graciously gives you. And we saw the substance of our salvation just in review once again. In verse 2 it says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. When we are saved, God does it through his grace and we receive his peace as a result of that grace. It's never the other way around. There's a lot of people in the world looking for peace. They're looking for peace in their own mind. They're looking for peace in their marriage. They're looking for peace in their family. They're looking for peace at their job or their finances. They're not going to find it. The only place that you can find true peace is when you experience the grace of God through Christ. So we understand the source and the substance. And then last week we looked at how our salvation is sufficient. Because it's by God's divine power, it says in verse 3. And it says that he granted us everything that we need. See, don't believe the lie that once you're saved, then there's something more to be had that somehow you have to go and you beg God for a bigger anointing or more of the Spirit or more of His love or more of His forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, you got all you're going to get if you're saved. That's it. There's nothing else to get. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't grow in your relationship. That doesn't mean that you don't mature in your faith. But so many times I run into Christians that, you know, they're, they're, they're praying for God to give them more love or they're praying For God to give them more forgiveness. Or somehow to give them a a greater portion of the Spirit of God. You have everything that God is going to give you if you're truly saved. He's not going to give you anything more. And so our, our salvation is sufficient to save us. We don't take our salvation and add something to it. And some of the things that even Christians like to add to their salvation are good things. They pat themselves on the back for helping the poor and maybe evangelizing or, you know, ministering to the sick. All those things are good things. But when it's done with a motivation of somehow because you're doing those things, you're earning brownie points with God as far as your salvation is concerned. You just lost your reward because you're doing it with the wrong motivation. It's not that we don't get rewards. We do. And we're going to be looking at that in a couple of minutes here. Because he speaks to that in verse 11. But it's so important to understand that our salvation is complete. It's sufficient. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that that's the case. That I don't have to do everything I'm doing now and somehow still go to bed at night thinking, Hmm, is God's? Grace sufficient to save me because I'm pretty bad at times and I just don't know if it's good enough. Maybe I should try to do something a little more in this area or that area. Now, you don't want to go to the other extreme and use the source and substance and sufficiency of your salvation for license to go do whatever you want. That's not what we're talking about. But don't come to God expecting to get something more when he's done everything he can for you through the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, verse 10 says, therefore, brothers. So he's talking to brothers in the Lord. He's talking to Christians. And that word, therefore, is, is to point you back to what was previously stated. And we're going to be looking at that, some of that next week, actually. But the reason I'm doing this in reverse is because I want to kind of lay a foundation for the need that we have as we are looking at today, the surety of our salvation, that we can have assurance in Christ, that we can be assured of our salvation in Christ. We don't have to question it. And it's a very important issue for Christians, because there's a lot of people who are Christians or call themselves Christians but they have no assurance, or they don't even believe in assurance. Some people don't believe in assurance. They think it's heresy to teach that you can have, that you can count on the assurance of your salvation. Well, just a way of introduction, what are some of the benefits for assurance as a Christian, practically? What are some things that that can really encourage our hearts as a Christian when we look at the assurance of our salvation. There's a couple of things. First of all, it makes us love and praise the Lord. It, it, it pushes us in that direction. See, I don't know about you, but if I, if I served a God that never assured me of anything, I don't know if I'd be so quick to, to love him or praise him. Praise him for what? A big question mark? Maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not. How would I ever know? Hope it all just works out in the end? I mean, that's what the world religions teach. I grew up in a church nineteen years of my life, and I could never be assured of my salvation. It was always, oh, you had to go to the next mass, or you had to go to the next confession, or you had to say this prayer, or you had to say that prayer. Don't you dare tell them that you are assured of your salvation. They would look at you like you're crazy. No one can be sure of their salvation, they would say. And what does that do? That empowers them over their followers. That causes their followers to be in debt to that religion. Because you're looking to that religion, a way of works, to save you. And so when you come up with the the understanding that, no, God's salvation is sufficient... And we can be assured of it. What's the need for all this stuff we're doing? Why do we do this stuff? Why do we say the rosary and go to confession and give to the church? Why do we do all this stuff? See, in some people's minds, they're doing it to save themselves. It's a religion of works. It's not a religion of grace. And so when we have that doctrine of assurance and we understand it biblically, it helps us to run to our God and to worship him and to praise him for the goodness that he's provided for us. I mean, do you know that his saving grace is not just temporary, it's for all eternity? When he saves you, he doesn't just save you for today. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, think if you had to wake every morning and, wow, I wonder if God's going to save me today. I don't know. I mean, that would be crazy. There'd be no assurance at all. Or worse yet, that you could do something to unsave yourself. That wouldn't cause me to want to praise God. Because my God, if that were the case, would be insufficient. Very practical. Our hearts should be filled with gratitude, filled with loving praise when we come to our God and our Savior, knowing that, you know what, we are secure in Him. That our salvation is assured of. Not only makes us love and praise God, but it also allows us to do it with a little bit of joy. Uh, Some believers need to understand from whence they came. You know, sometimes we forget from what we were saved out of. And we, we get in the church and we become all religious and we become all pious. And, you know, we fall into the little routine. Well, how was your week? Oh, my week was fine. Praise the Lord. How was yours? And, you know, nobody's real in the churches anymore. The churches aren't a place where transparency, you know, can be had. And that's a shame because that's not the way the New Testament church was. It says they had all things in common. They, they shared all kinds of things with each other. And not just material things. I think emotional things. See, this isn't a place to come and put on a front. This is a place to come and joyfully enter into the worship of your Savior. And you can't do it joyfully if you're playing a game of masks. If you're trying to be somebody you're not. This is the place you should come when you've had a hard week. And somebody says, how was your week? You know what? My week stunk. (laughs) I had a horrible week. You want to hear about it? I'll tell you. And you just start telling them. Hopefully, that little conversation will end in prayer for you. That God will maybe turn this new week around. That maybe you can praise God. At least you made it through the week, even though it was a hard week. And you can do that with joy in your hearts. Why? Because you know that your salvation doesn't depend on your circumstances. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life, doesn't matter how hard the job gets or what a jerk the boss is or or how tense the relationship is with the spouse. None of that matters when it comes to your salvation. You can have joy through all of that because you know one day God is coming back, Christ is coming back, and you're going to be gloriously transferred from this physical body that's infected with sin in this sin-stained world, and you're going to be ushered into His glorious presence. And you can look forward to that with joy in your heart. Thirdly, assurance really makes us want to be obedient. Makes us want to serve Him. It should. If I know that I'm truly saved, and I'm headed for heaven, then I understand the responsibility I have to serve the Lord. He's left me here for a purpose. He has a plan to use me, my gifts, whatever it might be, for his kingdom, not for my own glorification, but for his glory. See, assurance should not breed the attitude of apathy, apathy. Well, it's just, you know, sure it'll all work out one day. No. It 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 should give you an industrial heart, industrious heart, a heart that wants to serve the Lord even more because you know the truths that you're believing in are truly true and they're 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 working their way out through your life in obedience to your Lord and Savior. But if you're not sure of your salvation. If you're not sure you're on the right path, if you're not sure that you're really saved, that that God's salvation isn't sufficient to save you, well, if he can't even save you, what are you going to serve him for? What's the use in that? Doubting discourages service. I've never met someone who's doubting their salvation who's just really involved in ministry. Really serving the Lord with the right motivation and everything. I've, I've never really... Seen that? I've seen people who come to church and warm a pew and don't do much of anything, and then you talk to them and they say, "Well, you know, I don't, I don't know about my faith." Well, of course you don't know about your faith because you're not seeing God work through you. You're not seeing God use you. You have to be willing to commit to that. It also gives us victory. Assurance gives us victory over temptation. I like this. It gives us victory over temptation. Because I don't know about you, but I hold on to that verse, you know. I know that when I'm in the strongest of temptation, the Bible says that there's no temptation that has taken me except that which is common to man. And you know what? God is faithful and He will what? Provide a way out. He'll provide a way of escape. He's not going to tempt me beyond what I'm able to bear. He's going to ultimately save me as wretched and sinful as my heart is sometimes, he's still going to save me. Because he's not trusting in my goodness for my salvation. He's trusting in the sufficient work of Christ on the cross. And when Christ died, and you put your faith and your trust in that, it covers everything. It just covers everything. doesn't matter what it might be. You don't have to despair because you have and you understand that one day you will be glorified. One day you will be ushered into God's presence. So if God's going to do that for you, surely He can get you through this little temptation deal you're, you're dealing with. It's not going to change our eternal state. So it... Causes us to love and praise God. It causes us to have joy when we're dealing with various trials here on earth. Assurance causes us to serve Him in obedience. It allows us to gain victory over temptation. It also allows us to be content in this world in which we live. of my salvation allows me to be content even though it may not have a lot of stuff that contentment can be part of your heart And you know contentment is something that's fleeting a lot of hearts today in the world why do you think advertisers advertise the way they do <laughs> their whole desire their whole goal is to make you discontent You don't have everything you need. You need more. You need this newer car, or you need this different insurance, or you need this, or you need that, or whatever it might be. Why do you think they spend millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars on that? As dumb and silly as those ads are, and as irritating as they are sometimes, why do you think they do that? Because they work. (laughs) Because it works. And if it works, you're exposing your stuff to that. What's going to happen you're going to begin to believe that and you're going to begin to become discontent. Well, when you have assurance of your salvation and you realize that, you know what? It doesn't really matter what happens here on this earth. It doesn't matter if I get the next promotion or I own the bigger house or the nicer. Who cares? It's all going to burn up anyway. I know one day the one thing I can be assured of is that my Lord and Savior is coming back for me and I'm going to be ushered out of here. And all the computers and the iPhones and iPads are all going to be left behind for somebody else to play with. And trust me, they're going to have to play with something because they're going to have a real issue on their hands at that point in time. It also causes a suffering heart to endure. You know, when you're going through a hard time, when you're dealing with maybe the loss of a loved one or sickness or whatever it might be, the idea that when you know you're saved and there's nothing that's going to take that away, there's nothing that can disrupt that. The Bible says there's there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. That helps you endure those things with a little more steadfastness, with a little more patience. I'm sick and tired of the gospel message that's being preached today that Jesus promises you a happy, wealthy, healthy life. It just makes me want to puke. It really does. It's sickening. And you think, as, as much exposure these false teachers get time and time again, that people would think twice before promoting them or giving to them or their ministries. But boy, they're, you know, just as soon as they're, they're found out with some financial scandal or sexual scandal, you know, you give them in nine months to a year, hey man, they're back into it. <laughs> they're back on TV, raking in the millions from their, their followers, playing the religious game. You know, when you're suffering... When you're hurting, it's good to know that you're saved and that nothing, nothing can interrupt that salvation. It helps you endure those hard times with patience. It also pacifies the troubled conscience. Do you ever feel like you're just not worthy to be saved? Do you ever feel like, you know, that besetting sin just comes back and you confess it and you, you read books on it, whatever, and it just keeps on coming back and you just feel so burdened by it and, and you think, wow, okay, man, I got a, a couple weeks here, you know, whatever it might be, whatever that sin is, and, you know, I'm going strong and then, boom, it resurfaces and you stick it, start all over. And you just feel dirty, you feel unworthy, you feel sinful, you feel wretched. Well, you know what? In reality, you are. <laughs> You are. That's the whole point of needing a savior. Now, obviously, when God saves us, he transforms us. It says he recreates us. He gives us a new new creation, a new heart. I don't know about you, but sometimes your conscience can get the better of you. And I don't think it's just us. I don't think it's just up here in our mind. The Bible clearly says that we have an enemy, beloved. The Satan is out there and he is what? His main goal is to accuse the brethren. That's what he wants to do. Because if you can feel like your life is under accusation, guess what you're not going to be doing? You're not going to be having joy in your life. You're not going to probably be even assured of your salvation. You're going to be doubting. As a result of all that, you're not going to be serving God the way he wants you to because you don't feel worthy to serve God. And so he wins, in the short game, that is. Don't allow a troubled conscience to steal away that assurance of your salvation. Now, with that being said... If you're a Christian and you're involved in gross sin, you better be careful. God doesn't mess around with that. He doesn't play games with that kind of stuff. We think, oh, it's not hurting anybody. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be pornography on the Internet or whatever. Oh, it's not really hurting anybody. Yeah, it is. It's hurting you, first of all, and it's hurting God. It's hurting his heart. And if your conscience is troubled over something like that, good, it needs to be. And you need to go to God and you need to make things right and you need to confess that and Ask Him to fill you anew with the Spirit of God and help you to live a life that's powerful over this sin and death and and all the stuff that the world dishes out because that's truly the Christian walk. So you can't, in the face of God's grace, expect to go and just do whatever you want and use His grace and the assurance of your salvation as a license to sin. That's not right. There's something wrong there. But when we have the assurance of our salvation, it does pacify a troubled conscience. I know that no matter whatever, each day when I go through the day, You know, you're barraged in different directions from different things. Maybe you lose your temper. Maybe you think a bad thought. Maybe you think a lustful thought. Whatever it might be. At the end of the day, I understand that I can bring those things to God or I can even do it as they're occurring. And God has forgiven me completely. I don't need to go to bed wondering, oh, gee, am I really saved? No. Because God has saved, changed, working in me. I can see that playing out. And as a result of that, I don't have to go to bed with a troubled conscience. Does God convict you as a believer when you sin? Sure he does. And if there's no conviction and you're claiming to be a believer and you're sinning willfully, then there's something wrong. Because God not only convicts your heart, but he will also ultimately discipline you. So many times people say, you know, I don't understand. You know, this guy's a Christian. Man, he's cheating on his wife. He's cheating at work. He's got, you know, financial things. He's taking advantage of people. And look at him. He's making more money. It's God's blessing him. No, he's not. He's not blessing that. As a matter of fact, that person is probably not even a believer. I don't care what comes out of their mouth. So be careful. Be careful with that. And then last, it removes a fear of death. It removes the fear of death. Knowing that you are saved and that, that, that God has that salvation secured in Christ with a deposit that he's put in you through the Holy Spirit. I mean, sometimes I think I don't necessarily want to understand how I'm going to die, you know? Because frankly, I mean, just for whatever reason, I've been around a lot of people and been around them when they're dying. Sometimes it seems like a pleasant experience. Sometimes it doesn't. It's a difficult experience. I always walk away from the situations. I'm thinking, "Hmm, I wonder how I'm going to die. I'm just going to die. You know, at my desk, face down in my Bible. (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) Boy, that'd be neat, wouldn't it? Or will I die on the couch as I'm watching sports or something? You know who knows. That's the other end of it, right? You don't know how you're going to die, and you can you can start thinking about it, and you can think, Wow, man, you know, I, I could get in a grisly accident, I could you know lose both limbs and have to live the rest of my life with no legs, and then and then eventually die. I mean, you you can just go crazy with that if you want to. But you know what? The Word of God tells me. You know what? You don't need to fear death. You don't need to fear death. Christ rose from the grave. He has victory over sin and death. I mean, none of us look forward to dying, but I guarantee you we're all going to die pending the Lord's return. Sooner or later, we're all going to die. We all have an appointment with death. And assurance removes the fear of that appointment. Not necessarily the process, but the appointment itself. The idea that you're going to die. Because you know what scripture says. When you die as a believer in Christ, immediately you are in his presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can you imagine anything greater than that? I mean, so many times it's, we live our lives as believers as almost as if God tapped us on the shoulder and said, Hey, it's your time. We'd say, ah, you know what? Can you come back tomorrow? I've got a lot going on here. I'm kind of involved with my work or, you know, I want to see my kids grow up or I want to. And all those things are good things. I'm not saying they're they're bad things, but we have to put. Our anticipation of heaven in perspective of the life we're living now, isn't that what Jesus said when he called men and women to follow him in the New Testament, he said, you know what? Come and follow me, but you better be ready to, first of all, deny yourself. You better be ready to have your love for me look like hatred. Or your love for your parents as if it were hatred when it compares to your love for me. He says, unless you hate your mother and time, you can't be one of my disciples. What's that mean? It means it's all perspective. It's all priority. I mean, nobody wants to die before their children or have their children die before them. I mean, nobody wants to die, to be frank. But on the other hand... You know what, we're all going to go there one day. And it's just important for us to realize that what awaits us is so much grander than what we have here. I hear some people say, well, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll just miss, miss my husband so much if I die before them. It's like, What? No, you won't. You won't even be thinking about your husband in heaven. What are you talking about? You know, I mean, this is crazy talk. We like to think that way, but that's not reality. When we're in heaven, beloved, we're totally caught up with the Savior. We're not looking down on what little Johnny's doing today. That's not, that's a myth. We're caught up in the presence of God. And you know what? If that's the truth and we can be assured of that, say our spouse does die before us. Should we go through the rest of our life? I'm so alone. No, we should be rejoicing. Man, they're in glory. I wonder what they're doing up there. I can't wait to get there. That's what it should do for us. So important that we keep that perspective. So assurance helps us with those things, the benefits of our assurance. Well, look at verse 10. And this is where we're going to get into some of the text today. I'm not going to do a whole lot here, but we're going to have some. You know that God did not have to give us assurance if he didn't want to. Um, But he did. His word assures us that once we're saved, we're saved. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, some people believe that to have any kind of assurance of your salvation is almost blasphemous. The Roman Catholic Church in particular says that if If you assume that you can know that you're saved, you've really blasphemed God. There's a view of Scripture, the Arminian view, that that almost, they believe that you could lose your salvation. They don't find it honoring that people are secured in their salvation. But God says that you can make Your calling and your election absolutely sure. In verse 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Be all the more diligent. This is our our present rest, you might say. We can rest in the fact that we have assurance in our salvation. We can make our calling and election sure. Now, who are we making it sure to? We're not making it sure to God. He already knows. He's the one that chose you before the foundation of the world. He's the one that called you out, that elected you, that's going to glorify you. He's the one that's involved in all this. He knows that. He knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. He transcends time. Time to God is a snapshot. He sees everything at the same time because there is no time with God. That's hard for us to understand. People say, "Well, how could God have chosen me before I was even born? How did God choose me in Christ before the foundation of the world?" Because God transcends time; it's all one just big block to Him. And we can rest in the fact that we can have a calling, an election that can be sure. That word means deeply rooted. I mean, he's the God that wrote our names in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. See, God is not the issue here. We're not trying to convince God. He's putting this for us so that we can have this rest, so that we can have this assurance. We don't need to make God sure of our calling. We need to make our own hearts sure of our calling. And we're going to find out how we do that. That's why we're working our way back through this text. But he says there' be all the more diligent. In other words, it takes a lot of work to make your election ensuring and your, your calling for sure. And you say, "Well, wait a minute, I thought you said we have assurance, and we don't need to do all this stuff." It's kind of a paradox. Because a couple of weeks ago, we looked, well, last week, actually, we looked at verse um, 3. And what does he say there? He says that his divine power has granted to us, granted, it's already done, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we talked about the sufficiency. And now you're telling me, wait a minute, there's some stuff that we have to do? Not for God's sake. We don't do these things to save us, but they're an outgrowth of our salvation. They're the results of us being saved. And see, when we can rest in the fact that we be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, how do you do that? Well, he's going to tell us in verses 5 through 7. We're going to look at that next week. But we can have a rest in our present state. We can be secured in our salvation, or he wouldn't have wrote that. And then he says in verse 11, at the end of verse 10 there, he says, if you practice these qualities, what qualities do you ask? They're at the end of your outline there. We're going to look at those next week. Because these are not things that save you. These are things that are a result of your salvation. But they're ever increasing. And so it says, Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Wow, what a promise that is. Can you rest in that? The idea that you will never fall out of the grace of God if you're practicing these qualities, if you see these qualities evidenced in your life. Basically, to sum it up, is saying if you see fruit in your life, this this helps you to make your calling and election sure. If you don't see any fruit, if God isn't working in and through you, then maybe you have some cause for some concern because maybe you're not saved. Because God doesn't save us and then just let us kind of stand there as a dead tree and do nothing. That's not the salvation. We're never called and saved to be spectators in the family of God. That's just not what God has called us to. He's called us to serve Him. To serve Him with the gifts that He's given us. So ask yourself, are are you serving Christ? Are you you actively involved in ministering to other brothers and sisters through ministries of the church or or ministries of, of other agencies, whatever it might be, but somehow are you seeing God use you? Because, see, there's no point in time as a believer... Where it's okay just to relax. That's a lie. There's, there's no retirement plan in Christ. Do you know that? This is not in the vocabulary of the Bible. I've never read a verse that just says, okay, you do all this stuff, and then when you turn 65, you don't do nothing. You can just come to church and do absolutely nothing. That's not in the Word of God. That's not. They're sure, the older you get, you know, I mean body kind of wears down. I understand that. We all go through that. Doesn't mean you don't do anything. It's just that what you're doing changes. Way of commercial. Keaton Dudley have been doing communion for years. Preparing the, the juice and the crackers and helping us with that. And you know, it got to a point where I don't even think about it. Because they're so faithful in doing that. You know, they, they kind of, Keith was nice and she called me and she said, You know, I think it's about time we let somebody else do this. Give somebody else the opportunity to serve the Lord in this. And I, she put it in such a way and I know she means it. And so, if you would like to participate, help, do this once, once a month, the first Sunday of the month, doesn't take a lot of, you know, Pretty easy, they can show you all the ropes, talk to me, you can talk to them and say, hey, I'd be willing to help you out with this. But do something, do something. Because when we see God using us and we're making that diligent effort to make our calling and election sure, that's when we can rest in this present day in which we live. Well then he says in verse 11 for in this way there will be notice it's it's you're making your calling and election sure kind of present tense and then all of a sudden in verse 11 it kind of changes to the future it says this will be richly provided for you an entrance there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ well, what's that? That's our future rest. That's the opportunity that we have to rest here as we're serving Christ in the assurance of our salvation. But we also have the opportunity to rest in the fact that as we're serving Him in the future, when we are ushered into His presence, we're not going to show up as some barren, fruitless Christian that barely makes it by the skin of our teeth. The key word there in verse 11, it says... For in this way there will be richly or some translations say abundantly provided for you. See, when you're fruitful in this, in this day and age in the church, when you're serving Christ and God's using your gifts in different ways. And you have your priorities right and, and, and you're, you're giving God the proper amount of time and all this. Your entrance when you get to the kingdom will be Abundant. It says, if you take the Greek text literally, it says, For so richly will be supplied to you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's that mean? Well, that means all Christians, clearly, if they're forgiven, if they've trusted in Christ, they're going to enter the kingdom one day. We're all going to get there, beloved. But some of us will have our works burned up. Because they'll be shown to be of nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. 1 Corinthians 3. But some will enter with rich reward for their works. And they'll have been provided gold and silver and precious stones. So assurance really provides for us. That present rest and also that future rest as we see there in verse 11. We can look forward to that. We'll jump back two more verses quickly here in verse 8. First of all, you have kind of a a positive perspective here. He says, for if these qualities, what qualities? They're in your outline. We'll go over them next week. For if these qualities are yours, he says, and are increasing. (laughs) You mean it's not good enough just to have these? No. No. He says they have to be increasing. You're, you're to be growing. For if these qualities are yours because you're saved, not because you're doing them to get saved, but they're yours because you're saved and are increasing because God is working through you, look at what it says. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think a lot of Christians today are suffering from unfruitfulness and they're, they're suffering from that, 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 uh, that other phrase there, from the idea that they're going to be ineffective. They're ineffective, then they're unfruitful. When you stop, you lay your, bed, your head on the bed tonight, stop and think, how fruitful have I been today? How fruitful has my life been this week? How effective have I been as a believer? Have I used every opportunity that God has brought my, my, my way? Or have I spurned those opportunities because I was tired or whatever? Am I being effective? Am I being fruitful? That little phrase there, if these qualities are yours, the qualities we'll look at next week, if they belong to you, and it has the idea that they, you really own it, there's no question that you own it, if you ask me, do you own a 2001 Impala? I'd say, yeah. And they, How do you know? I got the paper right here. I'll show you. I can show you the car. I have the key. It's mine. I, can, I own it. I can sell it. I can burn it up. I can do whatever I want with it. It's my car. That's the idea here, that you own these things. It's an abiding possession. It's a very expressive possession. Uh, strong term in the, in the Greek language there. If you really have these virtues and they're ever-increasing is the idea, which means that you're going to have more than enough. <laughs> they're going to be abundant. You're not going to have to scrounge around and go, ah, you know, any virtue? I don't know. I don't know if that guy's got any virtue. Ah, knowledge? Ah, no, probably not. Godliness? No, definitely not. No, they're, they're going to be evident to everybody. These are very, very clear building blocks for assurance. But he says there, this is the kind of the, the positive perspective. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think personally that's one of the areas that really um, causes Christians to stumble and the fall. The fact that they don't understand who Christ is and who they are in relationship to Christ. They don't understand the attributes that God has. They have a lack of knowledge about Jesus Christ and God, for that matter. And so they kind of stumble and fumble through their Christian walk, filled with doubt, filled with discouragement, filled with all these things because they don't understand who they are in Christ. You know what they need to do? They need to open up the book of Ephesians, and they need to begin to read the book of Ephesians because the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians tells you who you are in Christ. And as a Christian, you would think that you would want to know who you are in Christ. If you're not even interested in that, don't call yourself a Christian. Call yourself something else. But if you're a Christian, if you want a, people to know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you should do some work and some understanding of who you are in Christ. Because when you begin to understand that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, and on this side, I'm being discouraged and thinking I can lose my salvation, something's not matching up. There's some problem there. And it comes from a lack of knowledge. And then, by the way, the the, the other chapters in Ephesians say, now that you know who you are in Christ, here's what you do with it. (laughs) So it shares the information with you, and then it gives you the practical application. Well, look here at the the negative perspective, because he also brings this up in verse 10. Or verse 9, excuse me. He says, for whoever lacks these qualities... Qualities that are listed there in your outline, if you lack those qualities, is so nearsighted. In other words, his vision is so bad that he's blind. That's how bad it is. Have you ever met somebody with really bad vision? And they put glasses on and you're like, whoa, what, you know, they're like Coke bottle bottom glasses kind of things, you know. And you're thinking, wow. And they still can't see. I remember Gerald Sheavey, a guy in our church, died a couple of years ago. I'd go over to his house and help him with different things. And he had macular degeneration. And he wanted to show me something one day. And I'm like, okay, I'm just sitting there. And, and he was sitting at his desk. And, and he had his glasses on. And, you know, I said, well, I'll show you this. I want to read this to you. I said, okay. And he had his glasses on. And then he put, like, this helmet thing on, you know. And he's doing this with, without his back to me, with his back to me, and he put the thing down, and he turns around and he's like, okay. I'm, and his eyes were like, I'm like, whoa, what's the map? I said, doesn't that give you a headache? I mean, it's giving me a headache just looking at you. You know, he's, oh well, no, it's the only way I can read this, you know. And his, his eyes must have been, it was incredible. But he still couldn't see, even with that. Well, that's the idea here. You know, if you lack these qualities, you're so nearsighted that you're blind. In other words, you don't even know you don't have these qualities. There's Christians going around, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Where are these qualities? Well, I don't know. They have no concern. None of their concern. And then he says there in verse 9, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Having forgotten That he was cleansed from his former sins. I mean, when you stop and think of the fact that here he's talking to brothers. He's talking to sisters in Christ. And he's saying, you know what? If somebody is increasing here with these qualities, that's good. Because you're not going to be ineffective. You're going to be effective for Christ. You're not going to be unfruitful. You're going to be fruitful for Christ. That's obvious. But he says, whoever lacks these qualities, you're basically blind. You can't even see your own issues. As a matter of fact, it's so bad that you've even forgotten, it says, that you were cleansed from your former sins. It's unfortunate, but our churches are full of people like this. (laughs) Full of people that somehow they forget that they were cleansed from their former sins. And nowadays they're they're Christian. I'm I'm Christian now. You know, don't don't use that language around me. My I have holy ears, and I'm a Christian now. Oh, don't don't do that around me. I'm a Christian. And they put this barrier up around them that just shouts, weirdo, you know. I mean, do you understand that God has saved us? Okay, gloriously, but he's left us here. He's left us in this sin-stained, sickened world. And he's left us here for a reason. And the reason isn't to get in a little huddle and say, us four no more. Let's, you know, let's just sing kumbaya and just have a holy huddle here and that's it. No, he brought us, saved us, and he left us here because there's a world that's lost and dying to sin. He says, I want you guys to go share the gospel that saved you with a lost and dying world. Are we doing that? Are we just coming to church and hearing a sermon, singing a song, eating some food and going home? And next Sunday we do the same thing. Don't do anything in the week. You know, I'm just too tired. I got, I got work. I got this. got that. You know, you don't understand my life. Hey, we all got 24 hours in the day. We all got seven days a week. That's just reality. It's just a matter of priorities, beloved. It's just a matter of priorities. Are you seeing God work in and through you so you can make your calling and election sure? If you're lacking these qualities, you're blind, he says. And maybe even you've forgotten that you've been saved from the sins that you've been saved from. There's a lot of judgmentalism going on in the church today. I don't think that's what the Lord had in mind. I think we need to understand that, hey, except by the grace of God, there go I. (laughs) We need to be a little more tolerant of those who have yet to put their faith and trust in Christ. Not judgmental. We need to be gracious. We need to be loving. We need to be understanding with these people. They're blinded by the enemy. They're not the enemy. Please hear me. The world is not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. And it's up to us to take the the power of the gospel out and overcome the enemy and give them the truth. That's what we're called to do. Next week, we're going to go back and we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. And we're going to go into these qualities and look at each one and see what they are. Because it's it's important that you have an understanding of these qualities if they're supposed to be in your life if you're a Christian. It's just, it's just good that you understand what these qualities are. And they should be evidentiary in your life if you're claiming to be a believer. I like what he says there in verse 9. He says, having forgotten that he was cleansed. That word kind of really brings us to the communion table because we get the word catharsis from that word in the original language. It means a purification. It means that something from the outside purified our hearts. We didn't do this ourselves. What a horrible thing to be a Christian and forgot that you're cleansed. To think that you're so holy and righteous and pious that you don't need that cleansing. Don't ever forget from where you came. Don't forget what you were saved out of. Because that reminds us of the grace of God. That reminds us. Oh wait, it's not about me. You know what? Once I was like them. I didn't want to hear the gospel. I made fun of church people. I did, a, you know, that was me. And they need to be reached out to. Just like somebody reached out to me and somebody reached out to you. And by God's grace, he allowed you to to respond to the gospel of Christ and you came to understand what it meant to need a savior. We can be assured of our salvation, but don't ever take our salvation for granted. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and Lord, we pray that as we come to our communion table, Lord, that you would provide for us the grace needed as we look deep into our own hearts. Lord, I'm sure that we're not going to find perfection there. We're not even going to find sinlessness there. But Lord, that's where your grace comes in. That's where the work of Christ comes in. We're not trusting in our own goodness to keep the law. Father, we're, we're trusting in the work of Christ who, according to your word, has the potential to save us when we trust in it with our whole heart. When we stop trying to work this thing out ourselves. When we reach the end of our rope and we realize there's no other way But God, there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved other than the the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to terms with that truth and we acknowledge that, that's when we can experience this assurance of our salvation. Because that assurance isn't in ourselves. It's in your promise, in your word, in your faithfulness, in your truthfulness. Our surety can be in the word of God. It tells us, That we have been gloriously, wonderfully saved from a wretched life of sin, and that you've made us new creatures in Christ. And it's all surrounding this table that we celebrate here this morning the work of Christ, the fact that he went to the cross on our behalf, all the physical aspects of that we know oh so well, his suffering. But we forget there was also a spiritual side. That here was a man who was perfect in every way. He committed no sin at all. Was sinless. And yet upon him was placed all the sins of all those who would ever put their faith or trust in Christ. And he was treated by God as the worst sinner ever. And he willingly took that upon himself. So, Father, as we come to this table, I pray that we would be reminded of these facts. That they would move our hearts to worship you in spirit and truth. And, Lord, if there's any here this morning who has yet to put their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would understand that it's, it's through prayer that we communicate with God. And the Bible tells us that there was a man in the New Testament that simply beat his chest and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need salvation. I need to be touched by your spirit. I know I can't do this on my own. Help me. Help my unbelief. He'll answer that prayer. He'll draw you to himself. For us believers, I just pray that we'd be reminded of the grace that you've extended to us. Help us never to forget that fact. Help us to run to those who are lost with the glorious gospel of Christ.